0: be someone hey guys welcome back to another episode of the try and stop me podcast Today we have Minna Taylor on the show and she is a great great guest to have on the show, especially after our last episode with the solo time where we were talking about confidence. Minna Taylor is actually a confidence coach herself. So what perfect timing in the same week or a follow-up week than to bring Minna on the show. So Minna and I have been friends for quite a while. We were definitely different people back in the day when we first met than we are today. The growth game in us two women are just it speaks volumes of itself. But Minna is a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. She's an incredible business owner. She is the founder of Energize Your Voice. Like I said, she's a confidence coach. She is a speaking coach. She is also like mm, improv. If you want help with improv, Minna is the go-to person for that. Mina, I, she is going to drop some value with us today. We're going to talk about all things with confidence, speaking, kind of why your story matters. But I mean, Nina, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today. It's going to be so much fun. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, my golly, Colleen, I appreciate you inviting me. And I love that our growth game.
0: I'm like, yes, let's celebrate. For real, like, guys, if you would have seen us back, what was it like seven, eight years ago? The conversations we used to have back then versus what we have now are just like light years beyond. So I just to stay in touch after how many years and you know what happens is you fall off or you stop talking for a while or just business and life goes crazy. But you always know you can call each other up in in a heartbeat. So when I was thinking about confidence and how this show is like really going into that. Um, Minna was the first person that popped up because Minna is such a powerful force. She knows what like the, her voice, the way she talks to people, the way she presents herself. It just breeds confidence. So I want to dive deep in, but first tell the people a little bit about yourself. Quick background, where are you from? You tell us a little your little twin vibes, all that stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I think whenever someone says, Tell me about yourself, it's always a question of what origin story do you latch on to? And is it the origin story of energize your voice? Is it the origin story of Minna Taylor, which has its own origin story? Mm-hmm. Is it the origin story of me as a human that sort of navigates the world. Um, And I like to start with my Orton story as a human because I think that really encapsulates all of the things that I currently teach and probably lays a strong foundation for why I chose to pursue that as my life path. I, you mentioned I'm an identical twin. I also grew up on a farm in the Shenandoah Valley. And if anybody knows anything about Appalachia They know that it's a a region of storytellers. It is sort of um, the way in which history is passed down and lineage was maintained was through the nature of storytelling. The way that communities were built and thrive in these small mountain towns that are so isolated is through this shared rhetoric and storytelling and really creating that sense of shared experience. And so that's really how I grew up. I grew up where people knew you. I grew up where you didn't have a stop and chat for 2 mm-hmm. seconds. You had to stop and chat for, you know, 20 minutes because mm-hmm. somebody chose to tell you a story about who they were and where they came from. And so I really came came into sort of my adolescence and adulthood and eventually into college with this notion that storytelling was just something that happened and it was really sort of giving me permission to share my voice in that way and and sort of gave me the <laughs> potentially um misguided expectation that people actually cared so <laughs> I I sort of entered actually you York. Know, you <laughs> enter, exactly so I remember in New York I used to um when I first moved here, I, I would make eye contact with people when I walked down the street, like, it like, <laughs> hi, like, it, where I grew up. It's like, if someone passed you on the street and you didn't make eye contact, they were probably feeling deeply offended. And so I, that was a habit I had to break, but it was really around the notion of, and when I say misguided, I mean, obviously right now, I firmly believe that if you have something to say, share it, but I think really it was over the course of time, negotiating not only the fact that I had something to say, I felt just sort of this ingrained entitlement to share without sort of any preconceived notions that people wouldn't want to hear it. So I had this already, this, this um, lack of barrier to just mm-hmm. contribute my story. And then it was a negotiation of, who wants to hear it, when do I share it, why do I share it, what's it in service of, and ultimately it's not about me sharing, it's about me receiving other people's stories and creating a shared experience from that. And so when I went to NYU to study acting at Tisch School of the Arts with the Atlantic Theater Company, that really sort of reinforces foundation of how do you tell stories strategically? That's what acting is. How do you speak your truth authentically? That's what acting is. And how do you approach that from a foundation of body learning rather than ego-mindedness? So not how am I doing? Like, am I doing okay? Rather, what am I doing? Where am I on my journey to achieving that? And so it really allowed sort of this objective perspective to come into play as it related to storytelling, where it became less about me and more about Uh, the impact that I was making or the experience that I was having and co-creating with my environment or the people with whom I was engaging. So that's really where I came from. That's sort of my background. And then I started Energizer Voice. I went to NYU. I got my master's degree in acting, did some corporate coaching for a long time in accent Mm -hmm. reduction and presentation Mm -hmm. skills while I was working to be an actor. And then Booked a national commercial and just decided, you know what? Hey, I'm going to double down and uh, let's really go for the energize your voice thing full force and see what happens. And that was seven years ago.
0: And the rest was history. No. So I, I have to back you up a little bit. And I could just picture it because we have the house, my parents have the house upstate, and it's very. It's just simple and there's not a lot of uh, city life and it's just people exactly that. They'll stop by and they'll tell stories or they'll have conversations. How was it like coming into the city though, moving here and then feeling like, did you start to, did your confidence start to get a little bit depleted because you would go all in and then other people would probably be looking at you like, why are you smiling or making eye contact with me or telling me your whole life story? What was that mind shift that you had to create?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think it was a habit that I had to break, which was Mm -hmm. confidence and arrogance are very close Mm -hmm. neighbors. And so coming to the city, I'm, I'm a natural leader. That's sort of my, my default, (laughs) you know, state of being, Um, (laughs) surprise. And so uh, when I came to the city, and you know the the people in my dorm or whatever it was orientation, everyone's like, "I don't know how to get to where we're going." Well, I was almost like, "I got it, I'll figure <laughs> it out." Uh, and so I, I really found my place that way. And and even in acting school, uh, I really sort of came in it with this notion of, um, I like arrogance, you know, <laughs> like and it and it didn't and it didn't serve me. And I think I I lost a lot of opportunity to create relationship and grow authentically and experience the gift of what can happen when vulnerability is authentically present. And so I, to your point, yes, I came in with confidence Um, It didn't diminish my confidence, but maybe as a way to overcompensate for feeling a little out of my bearings, Mm -hmm. I moved into a space of arrogance. Like, oh, I got this. And I'll give you a great example of how that manifested, which is, um, okay, everyone, we have to get to Washington. We were at Union Square. And for those of you who don't live in New York City, Union Square and Washington Square Park are literally eight blocks from each other (laughs) on on one street. And you can walk Mm -hmm. down... Um, university Place, which is where my dorm was. And everyone's like, we don't know how to get to Washington Square Park. And I was like, I got this guys. Uh, I took us on a journey all the way to 7th Avenue, which was a good like 25 minutes this was before smartphones. So I was just like kind of using like my intuition of like my literal 12 hours having been in the city. I mean, it was just like, so, you know, it's, it's funny to look back on as sort of this beautiful example of how arrogance and confidence can work in tandem, but ultimately if arrogance is the dominant force there can really limit the way in which I was able to make those connections. Because I was sort of this arrogant leader, I wasn't necessarily a confident participant. And so uh, that's something that sort of shifted over time, but it it was an interesting transition um, and
0: I've learned a lot since then. (laughs) that's funny so the arrogance how did you kind of get through to flip that and make it more into confidence because they do teach you you know fake it till you make it or all of these kind of quick quotes that they want everybody to feel confident and show up and then you kind of do get that chip on your shoulder where you're like well I am the shit and I am going to show up like I know everything but reality is we may not, right? So how did, what mm. taught you? Was it back then? Was it years of falling on your face? What happened to be <laughs> able to give you that shift? Well, I, I so you mentioned a couple of things here
1: and I, I'm going to make a note of that so I actually respond to that question. Um, how did I shift to confidence? Okay. Uh, but the first thing that I want to respond to is this notion of um, um, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And I did a little piece on this on social media, but I think that is absolutely the wrong approach because, uh, actually, let me start a little bit further back, which is let's define what confidence is. (laughs) Confidence is a perceived characteristic based on an embodied set of behaviors So when you're actually seeking confidence, when you're in a confidence journey, you are not trying to be confident. You are rather trying to get more deeply in touch with your breath. You are rather trying to engage more deeply in listening. You are rather trying to be more present and mindful in the moment in front of you rather than the moment behind or the moment in the future. That is how we experience confidence through a connection to authentic expression, full release of the voice, full expressive capability of the body. That is how we experience confidence. So then if we take that notion, so confidence, again, is a perception rather than a behavior. If we extend that into the notion of fake it till you make it, you're now Telling people, hey, the behavior habits that I want you to build are inauthentic to you. And really, it's about practice toward possibility rather than fake it till you make it. Because this make it also implies that there is some end game. Yes. Like there is some finish yeah. line, some cul- culminating expression of what confidence looks like. But spoiler, no one's told you what it looks like because it doesn't exist and it will be unique to you. Mm. So if you are on your confidence journey and you are faking it till you make it, you are on, destined to uh, continue to undermine the ultimate expression of that confidence, because that notion of making it is so elusive, you will never get there and may give up before you even try and spoiler, it's a lifelong journey. So <laughs> if, we, if we think about it like that, how did I then shift from arrogance to confidence is it, maturation. So first of all, we have to think about it from a neurological perspective, Mm -hmm. and we all know that the frontal cortex doesn't actually gel and you don't become entirely self-actualized until about your mid-twenties. So that was a piece of it, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, So purely on a biological level, I just hadn't caught up to myself yet. Uh, And then I think through a a deeper integration of the practices, and I think this is something that I really, really try to encourage people to consider. People want a 10-step process. They want a six-week course. People want um, a book that tells them how to do it, but they don't actually want to go through the work. They want to go around it. They want to skip ahead. They don't want to go through and so for me, I, I, the only way I was able to get there, and by the way, I didn't like all of a sudden wake up one day and be like, nailed it. You know, I think it's like, <laughs> it's it's over, over the course of time when you start realizing that the way in which you were are contextualizing and receiving and, and processing your environment is one that is a distance from ego. It is one that is of a deeper level of responsiveness versus reaction. It is one of detachment from emotional burden. So there are so many different layers of how that shows up for yourself. Uh, and, and really ultimately what this comes down to is uh, it's not about you. <laughs> anything that you're struggling with, tack on, it's not about you. And there's tremendous power there. But that's ultimately what confidence is, confidence in public speaking, confidence in communication. If you make it not about you, already, you've done a lot. But of course, that's easier said than done. So the practices that I learned at NYU, uh, I'll, I'll Attach myself specifically to the voice body practice, Mm -hmm. which uh, was uh, designed by Chuck Jones and is outlined in his book called Make Your Voice Heard. And it is literally a series, a sequence of physical movements that take you through a grounding internal embodiment of breath, curiosity, and awareness of habit all the way through redirecting that habit, feeling vibration, which is the voice. We hear a voice, we create vibration, feeling the way that that impulse expresses itself in voice, feeling the way your body is available to expressing that freely. And we hear it when people don't, when they really don't, they have to like really work mm-hmm. for it, right? So we hear how that functions vocally. And then ultimately how you express it? And so it's this really beautiful physical sequence. It's very akin to a yoga practice. And it took me a long time. I found very, very sincere transformation in the two or three years that I was studying it. And then I studied it again in graduate school. So that certainly helped, but that was all in the learning process, the learning and practice process. Then there's the embodiment and implementation process. Mm. And so that also then took a few years of me not only teaching it, seeing how it operated in others, but then also developing a deeper curiosity of how it operated in myself and in what context it operated differently. Mm. And then I integrated a yoga practice. So I do specifically what's called Ashtanga yoga, which is also a set sequence of postures. And so they were very similar in their intentionality, which is presence of breath, presence of mind, presence of body unified in a singular action in the here and in now. And so that's really what confidence ultimately is all about. That's what communication is about. That's what we are working toward when we try to develop a deeper sense of belonging, which as we all know is one of our basic needs. Mm. And so that's really a long way of saying, mm, yeah, that's my journey. That's how I shifted. It took a long time Uh, but it was, it was a worthwhile time and it took the time that it should take.
0: Yeah. And I love how you were saying that with the ego and it sounds like the the perfect person, there's no such thing as the perfect person. And you also have to give yourself the time and the flexibility and understand you're not going to make it in six weeks. You're not going to turn on this confidence in six weeks. You can find tools to make it, you feel a little bit more closer to your end quote unquote goal of the overcoming confidence, but it's a lifelong journey. There's gonna be times where you're up and down and there's gonna be new things that you might have to learn. Some things you might have to drop off that don't work for you and then pick up some, or be open, that's one thing. Be open to maybe the breath work, be open to the yoga, be open to all of these new things that you never thought you wanted to implement in your life previously that could benefit you in the future. So it's, I love everything that you said and the fact that it's a journey. It took you, and I'm sure you're still working through it, right? You're a confidence coach, but still learning yourself.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so, it, what's so interesting about that, Colleen? So first of all, breath work is human work because if you don't breathe, you die.
0: <laughs> Valid. So let, yeah. let's just get clear there,
1: right? So if you're not invested in breath work, you're not invested in your Mm -hmm. humanity. So I would encourage everybody, and breath work can be as simple as, let me just start being aware of my breathing because it's such an unconscious autonomic function that we can become unconscious to it. And that's when pesky habits sneak in. (gasps) I hold my breath when I get nervous. (gasps) I never compensate when I talk. You know, all (laughs) of those things. So breath work is human work. You don't breathe, you die. So that's one thing. The other thing (laughs) is, uh, as we know, when it comes to the notion of consciousness, our consciousness of self, our consciousness of the surrounding, our con- consciousness in terms of our place within this universe, whatever, however you choose to conceive of that, the more you uncover, the more questions appear. And so on the journey, as you feel like you hit milestones, and I'm, I'm thinking about this right now, I'm writing a book. And mm. every time I think, oh, this is what it's about. And then I start charting out <laughs> how I'm going to speak to that topic. I'm like okay, but then what happens if we think
0: about, and then I just all How many of a sudden different feel series like, can we get in the book?
1: <laughs> correct. So that I have all these new questions. And so it's a very similar process. So that's really why it is. It's a lifelong journey, but it's one that's worthwhile investing in because ultimately what we're talking about, Colleen, and I know you've experienced this, it just makes life easier when you realize it's not about you. You actually have permission to show up just as you are. As long as it's with a sense of compassion and emotional intelligence, you are solid, right? That is all that has to be presence for you to then speak your truth and show up fully.
0: Mm. See, this is why she's here. This is the gems that she's dropping for us. It's true. It's just sometimes you need that little reminder that drop the ego. It's not about you at the end of the day. Just be who you are and show up. And when you show up as a good person and you're breathing and not holding your breath, because when you do hold your breath, it's like going in front of if you ever gave a presentation or you're ever in front of a client or you're ever, I don't know talking to your significant other about something that's uncomfortable, if you hold your breath, that conversation, that presentation, everything is going to, it's not going to come out because you're going to be too tense and thinking about like, do you have boogers coming out of your nose? Like you're were concerned about yourself versus kind of the value that you're, you're gifting the world or the love that you're trying to give to your significant other. So, uh, all of this, I love it. And
1: and you, you can have just to clarify for people, you can be self-aware. Mm. without being self-conscious so it's a very clear distinction and I and I bring that up specifically around the booger in the nose if you have a (laughs) booger in your nose like handle it you know if it's distracting you handle it (laughs) like that's a self-awareness thing right (laughs) now if you're but if you don't handle it and now you're thinking oh my God, I hope they're not looking at me. So that's self-consciousness. So it's, you know, (laughs) self-awareness is important because it's actually going to allow you to negotiate your behavior within any given context to ensure that not only are you pursuing your objective and your Mm -hmm. point of view, but you're also being responsive to the needs of others. But that self-consciousness piece is when it becomes a little tricky.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's shift this a little bit. So confidence, because I know we could talk about and then the whole episode is going to be about confidence. And we're going to go down that hole. We can do it when you come out with the book, we'll bring you back on so we could dig more deep. Point A, point C, how does it get to point Z? Because it all mixes in together. But I want to talk about storytelling and being able to kind of tell your story, especially on the show. I love when people tell their stories and how they've had value in their life because we all have a story to tell. And I think if more people were just open in in relationships, in life in general, in business, business now showing your authentic self and storytelling too is pushing people beyond light years where they ever thought that they could be because they're being more open. So talk to us a little bit about storytelling and some, some tips or ideas that you have around that.
1: Yeah. So the function of storytelling, let's start there, is to create an emotional experience on behalf of your audience. And what that does when you create that emotional experience is it creates deeper levels of engagement from your audience, obviously, but it also creates shared experience. And so storytelling can function in a presentational capacity. It can also happen in a conversational capacity. So if it's happening in a conversation now, because people are enrolled, they're going to feel inspired to contribute. And so that conversation will now be such, so much more personal and so much more specific, which leads me to the next thing. So that's the function of storytelling. If you're thinking about, well, I don't really know what that looks like. How do I need to think about storytelling? I don't want to set people up to have to think about traditional story structure, do I have my inciting incident? Are there enough obstacles to create dramatic tension? Am I finding that moment of climax? What is the resolution? You know, there's, there's traditional story structure. The more important thing to consider here is specificity and feeling. So people tend to add a lot of details I'll ask people in initiating practicing telling story or sort of understanding what story is. All right. Tell me about your day. I woke up and then I brushed my teeth and then I made the bed and then I got some coffee and then I got dressed and then I, so it becomes this list. I call it the syndrome of end then and then, and then, and then, (laughs) right? So we're not looking for items, we're looking for specificity about those items. So as opposed to, I got up and brushed my teeth and then I got some coffee. It's, I woke up this morning and for the first time in a long time, I sort of felt this, this deeper level of clarity, right? Like I I wasn't tired and I just felt so grateful for that because I've just woken up exhausted Every day for the last several weeks. And so already I had this sensation that today is going to be slightly different because now my level of clarity has enhanced for whatever reason. So then I got up and I went to brush my teeth and I turned the faucet on. And I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was thinking, okay, with this level of clarity, right? So now we can see Ooh, that I read the book already. <laughs> <laughs> it. You're putting right?
0: us so here. We...
1: Correct. So When we say create an emotional experience on behalf of your audience, the way to do that is to create such an atmosphere that they can now place themselves Mm. in that scenario. So when I say I woke up, that's very different than my alarm went off and it has this kind of like... And it very gently eases me in, and I could almost feel my body. You know, the sheets are crumbling underneath me, and I just did this little cat stretch, and all of a sudden, you're like, me too. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so, so it's <laughs> right. So, that's, that's what you're looking to create in storytelling. But the thing, Colleen, that is a block for people is the practice of adding in that specific. Mm-hmm. So many people might be in the mindset that people don't care. People don't want that information. Hell, yes, they do. Hell, yes, they do. They super duper want it. And even when we're talking about, for example, people pitching new product, yeah. people in a sales conversation, I because guess what? Whoever you're talking to is still a human being. Right. And humans want stories. And humans understand better through story. And so if you're limiting yourself from telling these really deep stories, because you somehow have told yourself that it's not appropriate in any given context, you're doing yourself a disservice. So getting in the practice of how can I tell story? So for example, I'm Colleen. I have a podcast. Well, great, that's a mm-hmm. fact, but tell me a story about it, right? I'm Colleen and I had this idea that there need to be more uh, deep conversations around the notion of being, around the notion of, of sort of stepping out, you know, um, try and stop me, right? It's like this notion of fortitude. And so I, I really started having a deep level of curiosity, right? Already I'm like, okay, where is she going with this? As opposed to, oh, I started a podcast. So there is always opportunity to add in specificity of experience around an action that in and of itself can be a story. So it doesn't have to be this beginning, middle and an end approach. It's about specificity, inciting an emotional experience, but incorporating the sense of feeling and why around it, not what, but why.
0: Mm. Yes, yes. And it it drives home it makes me think of exactly what you were just saying. Remember like around Super Bowl when all those commercials come on and we always pick I mean I don't I'll watch the football game but I'm not really paying attention. Like I want to see the commercials because there's storytelling within the commercials that may make me want to buy a product from them. You know, I like the fun party ones. Yeah, they're cool to see, but the ones that get you are the ones that start off and they're like, they open their eyes and the coffee's brewing and you can almost smell that folders through the damn TV. That type of storytelling, if you can bring that into your business in some capacity, you don't have to tell them everything that goes on. And I think that's this day and age of being on social media. How do they storytell without telling too much of their personal life or if there's like compliance issues i know some people go through some things like that so it's finding the ins and outs of being a storyteller through like instagram if they need to promote themselves without kind of showing the the fights that they're having with their significant other or telling too many details because there's also this like there's a there's a thin line between too much and too little i think online i think you're <laughs> absolutely right yeah absolutely
1: yeah. and and i and i think what you You're exactly right. And there are ways to, without saying, hey, I'm having a fight with my significant other. First of all, if you're expressing that you're having a conflict with somebody, it real easy to go on there and be like, they did this and Mm -hmm. they did that. And now I'm promoting my victim narrative, which my feelings are valid, but is that something that I want to focus on? Probably not, but I might have a tendency to. So if there's um, inspiration to tell stories, story around your own experience, always think about why are you telling the story? What is the point? What is the purpose of the story? What are you trying to get at? And if it's about judgment, if it's about blame, if it's about gaining sympathy, that's probably a different objective or Mm. point of view than is going to be beneficial toward creating those authentic relationships. And so it's really about thinking if I choose to tell something going back to the notion of relationship something on social media about a fight that I was having then it needs to be about the lesson I learned or what I learned about myself in the process or how yeah. I've chosen to grow or how it made me think about something associative storytelling is a really powerful tool so this specific instance without going into de- detail here made me think of
0: yes fill in exactly the blank. Do you think, and I know what your answer is going to be, but I want to know, the value. Does there need to be value in every story that you tell for the listener? Or could it be simply just you narrating your life day to day so they get to know your personality a little bit? Does there have to be a purpose for everything that you're talking about?
1: It depends. I think I think if you're (laughs) and I'm saying it depends. And obviously, my answer sort of generally is yes, but um, it's going to depend on the context. So again, you never want to list. So if Mm -hmm. you feel like you're telling me about your day to day and you're listing it off, I don't care. But if you're telling me the things that you do day to day that light you up, that motivate you, that make you feel challenged or conflicted or inspired, That's interesting, because those are the things that give me insight into your humanity, not just tell me about who you are functionally or on a practical level. So I need the humanity to be present there. And if it's not, then you're simply giving me facts. And if I can Google it, you've wasted my time.
0: Right. And I, lo- I I bring that up because I, I saw, obviously, your stories the other day. You were showing just like your desk, right, of where you're working and where you normally work. And you showed the, but that type of value that you're bringing, there is value behind that. Because in my opinion, when you're looking and you're showing your story in an authentic way, and you're not just bitching and complaining about everything that's going wrong every single day and like, oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. There's a purpose- kind of, within those videos that you're showing to say, here, this is what my desk looks like. And the value to me was (laughs) my desk looks exactly the same. (laughs) It literally is just humanity of saying like, hey, we might show up and we might be posting like everything is put together and we're this great, confident people. But let me take the curtain down a little bit and let me show you inside my real world. And you can see it's not all perfect all the time. There's some there's some quirks about me that's there. It's not perfect pretty much most of the time. Let's say that. <laughs> but we're trying here. So oh, and I love that. Uh,
1: yeah, I feel like, oh, of course. And anyone that promotes anything otherwise is like a fucking robot or they're lying to you. Like but
0: That's the way the internet people feel like they need to be. It's like, no, we need to show up backwards. Let's go back to the days of like when Instagram first started where everybody was just posting. Well,
1: and, and I think we can, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I think we've seen a big shift. Uh, and I'll, I'll call, for example, a, as women, I know we can <laughs> respond to this, but uh, body positivity, yes. right? So for a long time, all we got were these Photoshop images. And then there was all this backlash because it was creating this whole new wave of generational self-consciousness. And then we have this emergence of body positivity when it's not that it always hasn't been there. P.S. Spoiler. Women are always like, yes, queen, live your best life. You know, but it's the media (laughs) that wants us to think otherwise, first of all, Um, (laughs) so it doesn't work there. But but sort of this body positivity movement, that storytelling. So that's really about saying what we have, the image we've put out there traditionally, is not one that's honestly supportive of our consumer, that's honestly supportive of our community, that's honestly supportive of of society as it realistically exists. So I think there's more celebration around the fact that uh, we're not photoshopped. We are flawed. We are infinitely fallible. We are capable of tremendous blunder. And those things are what are interesting if you show me perfect, it might be aspirational, but that's clickbait. I want to see something that is inspirational and that's authenticity.
0: Take me with you. Don't say, look at me, come along on the journey with Mm -hmm. me is what I hope everybody starts. And it's, it's somewhat, I think starting to get there where everybody's like, let's, let's Mm -hmm. peel the curtains back a little bit. Okay. Great conversation Mm -hmm. about that. I love storytelling. I know we can, Minna is the, when Minna would get up in front of a room and it would be seven (laughs) o'clock in the morning and I'd just be staring at her like, how, how, how am I in your room right now? Like the way she would tell stories, like you literally felt like you were in wherever she was talking about. So, the the practice and the breath work and everything that you've done throughout it's just it's made her this expert in this field and that's why she's here today because she's just a phenomenal person so let's I super appreciate that
1: yeah it's uh, thanks for asking that because that was exactly what I was going to respond to about these seven a.m. meetings yeah. is at the seven a.m. meetings not only was I able to, uh, again, as a trained communicator, come with a clarity of message and really know how to hook people because we had a short amount of time to interact. What ultimately allowed me to be successful in that was I got up and actually spoke to people, not just at them. And that Mm. happened through calibrating myself to the audience through breath. Mm. So if I go up and I'm holding my breath, I have now created a barrier between myself and the audience, and now it becomes this contentious, energetic dissonance, as opposed to I get up and I breathe and I see you, and I'm not just looking at you, I see you, and I'm going to speak to you, not just at you, and I'm here to share this thing with you. I'm not here to just tell you something. And so it's a very different way of embodying that practice and the voice will follow suit. So the voice again is what we hear. Vibration is what we create. Vibration is carried through the breath. So if the body is locked, the breath will be locked and the voice will be compromised ultimately. Mm -hmm. But voice is gonna be a symptom of the body. So what is going on with the body will be reflected in the voice. So if the body is free and the breath is free, the voice will be free. And then the voice can (laughs) be totally responsive to all the different ways that, for example, a feather in the wind is responsive your voice is capable of the same level of dynamic play. The problem is Colleen, that from a very early age, before we have even become self-aware is we start developing habits Mm
0: -hmm.
1: around communication. So that can come in, in sort of innocuous ways, for example, an accent, right? A speech pattern, Um, different cadences or tonality, lyrical we call that in in, uh, dialect work, lyricality of speaking. And that happens region to region, country to country, culture to culture. But then beyond that, beyond sort of those external environmental factors, we also have, were you nurtured? Were you given permission to speak? were you in a place where you were consistently engaged? Or did you even have the opportunity to practice expressing your thoughts? Mm -hmm. How were they validated or invalidated when you did? Were you (laughs) sort of challenged to think outside of um, a conditioned thought pattern? right? Or were you encouraged to stay within a specific thought pattern? All of these things will dictate the freedom with which we were able to show up. And again, they are largely unconscious because they've started from a very early age. Now, the cool thing is, a lot of it is just physical habit. So it's not about, I I need to shift my perspective. I need to get over the fact that I didn't feel nurtured as a child. I need to get over the fact that I was one of 11 children and I kind of got lost in the mix, you know, whatever it is that happens in therapy. And I think that's all well and good. I've engaged in my own therapeutic journey. And I think there's tremendous benefit. But if you're talking about, Hey, it's actually, I'm kind of okay in that psychological realm, but there's something that's still blocking me. It's probably unconscious habit around the way you're ultimately able to express yourself. And so that may mean, do you tend to limit the breath capacity? And what I mean by that is think about your torso as a barrel, like a oil drum, Mm -hmm. and it has three different compartments. So there's your chest or your sternum, your ribs and your belly or pelvic floor. And so most of us just use that top third. So the chest sternum area some of us might go into that second chamber and maybe get our ribs going right to the top, right about where the solar plex is. And then very fewer of us get down to that lower pelvic floor or belly breathing territory. Now, what happens when we relegate ourselves to that top third, that chest area? Well, think about other times you're short in your breath when you're nervous. When you're feeling compromised, right. when there's a challenge afoot or danger ahead. And so, what that does is it keeps you in this subtle space of anxiety because it's always keeping your sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight, bear fire notion activated. It's always primed to be responsive. So you've now created habit around being responsive to that sense of nervousness. Now, what happens if we start to deepen access to our breath as our body starts to recalibrate and be like, oh, literally, right? So we're at top, we're thinking, bear, fire, uh," and then we're like, oh, no bear, no fire. So our body automatically drops the breath. We have that big sigh, right, of relief. Your body wants to breathe deeply, but we have habits that prevent that from happening. Now, what happens when you get to the pelvic floor or belly breathing, and that's not to say the breath won't travel up, but we want to feel from the bottom up, not from the top down, right? So we could start with the pelvic breathing and go ribs in the chest, that's fine. But when we give ourselves access to this pelvic floor breathing or belly breathing, I don't necessarily ascribe to the chakra points. That's not really my realm, but just for point of reference, I do believe that there are places that allow us certain points of power. The root chakra is in the pelvic floor. Now, if we think about the root chakra, it is our uh, power center. So it's where we sort of feel the essence of our expression. That's also where lives our need to speak and our desire to be heard. So think about times when you were just like, even if you were somebody that thinks, oh, I don't really speak up. I just kind of like do my thing and kind of like get things done. I guarantee you there have been times when you're like, enough, (laughs) enough. Stop talking to me that way. Mom, partner, kids, enough. You know, holy buckets. Where do you think you're speaking from? The pelvic floor. The pelvic floor, because in those moments, your need to be heard overrides your need to stay safe. Wow. And what I mean by that is we create those conditioned habits around self-protection that are a result of self-consciousness and fear, and fear of being rejected. But in those moments when we are like, this will not stand, you know, that's when our whole body gets behind us and is like, I got you, let's do this. And that is where we want to speak from. Even if it's simple, even if it's subtle, we still want to speak from the place where impulse happens, where ideas start, where the need to speak is generated. And that's through deep pelvic belly breathing.
0: Oh, mic drop! I mean, where do you even go from there? That's just the value behind that. But the question really comes down to: How the hell do people start? Where do you even Where do you even pick up the pen or the breath work or give some type of advice if somebody's like, "I need help here"? Where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah, for
1: sure. Uh, so it's all a practice, and and there's this great uh, yoga quote, which is, "Practice and all is coming." It's Toby Joyce. And I really believe that. So it's really about practice. Don't think about, okay, I'm trying to solve the voice problem. I'm trying to solve the confidence problem, right? It's not that. Right. It's I am, I am, I am engaging in a curiosity process around the human experience, right? So okay. first, let's shift your mindset into how you're engaging the process. Now, the first thing to do, just like in the voice practice, just like in so many various practices, it starts with curiosity. And what I mean by that is, I guarantee that most people rarely stop to think, what is my body doing? What are my hips doing? What is my lower back doing? I never think that. (laughs) Am I I tensing my butt? How are my shoulder blades? (laughs) Are my hands tight? What's happening with my throat? So they're like, even just developing a habit of curiosity, And there's no right or wrong here because ultimately your body is smarter than your brain and it will guide you into where it needs the most attention. If you start to open yourself up to the curiosity of what it's trying to teach you. So first curiosity, what's going on with my body. Then you'll start to realize, Oh, Holy buckets. I have a really tight lower back. Well, I guarantee you that means your ribs are really tight. And so there are all these muscles inside of our ribs called the intercostal muscles. And that's what allows them to expand and contract as we breathe along with the diaphragm uh, and still stay together, (laughs) right? So that's all this beautiful fascia or soft tissue. And so if that's trapped, well, our breath mechanism is trapped, right? And think about how if we allow the breath to move there, oh, if I release my lower back and all of a sudden my ribs are open, Oh, wow. Oh, actually, it's really easy now for me to. There are a lot of different opportunities to, A, build curiosity, and then think about how your breath can move more deeply into your body. If you do those two things, you you already are light years ahead of many of your counterparts. uh, But that will also give you indication around what you need to continue your journey, because I can't tell you what you need. I don't know what confidence looks like for you on the outside. I don't know how you will experience that. I know that one plus one equals two. I know that if you open your body and allow your breath to be there, you will experience a deeper level of presence and capacity for expression. That's what I know. How that looks or manifests for you. I don't know what you need, what, excites you to start exploring that i don't know but start with the body start staying curious and start with the breath
0: Mm. and there's no cookie cutter there's no Mm -hmm. six-week course there's no it's the confidence there's not finding just the grounding and as as min is talking i could just i'm like breathing in and i'm like yeah i'm you're like your lower back i was like "Mm, yeah
1: a little bit yeah but it's something that
0: you work on so Absolutely.
1: It's something that you work on. And even in, for example, are my three week in, in my coaching practice, not three week, three month um, course. It's not about at the end of this three months, you will. It's by the end of the, this three months, you will have the tools you need to continue the journey Correct. on your own. Yes. It's not that the journey ends after the three months. Mm-hmm. It's the journey has just begun. Right,
0: you just went to grade school for this. There's still plenty (laughs) of lessons that come through after, but you're giving kind of the foundation. So let's talk about that. Where can everybody find you? Because I'm sure there's some people listening to this, like I need to connect with Minna. So tell us a little bit about the coaching. Where they can find you on Instagram and all that stuff that comes with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So this is my happy place. I really believe that every most of what we need to know. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, uh, m- most of what we need to know is already inside of us, right? Mm. It's already in our body. It's just about uncovering that. Right. So again, thinking about those habits that started before we were even aware that they were being ingrained, that's how it starts. So the, the my signature program for the, for voice and confidence and is called voice and action Program And it's a three-month program. It's very high touch. And it's about laying that foundation for breath, body, storytelling, connection, presence, (laughs) influence, all of those things. Uh, You can find more information about that on my founder website, which is MinnaTaylor.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at MinnaTaylor.com. Oh geez, I can never remember. Is it Minna Taylor underscore EYV or yeah, Minna? We'll put it all
0: on yeah. the show notes too. Yeah, these
1: I'm the worst. I'm the worst. It's like, what street did you grow up on? I was like, I don't know, but there was a tree at the end. Um, so it had the word nut. Yeah, that
0: helps. It too. had the word
1: nut in it. And then, uh, if you want to learn more about Energize Your Voice at Large, which is my company, and this would really be great for anyone who works at a corporation who's thinking, oh my golly. Our employees need this. We want our teams to uh, function in this way with this mindset. We want our senior leaders to function in this way with this mindset. You can go to our website, which is energizeyourvoice.net. Or, of course, again, follow us on Instagram, which is confirmed energizeyourvoice. So that I know. Um, So that's how you can find out more information.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. And I have a quick follow-up question confidence coaching who would you say it's great for it could be any you don't have to be somebody completely lacking in confidence and not you know knowing where you're going the breath work that she does to be able to check in can take you if you're already an executive in a company it could take you further because then you're more grounded and maybe you're not you know finding that belly breath when you're screaming at people (laughs) you're finding the belly breath when you're having authentic conversations so it Am I right or correct in saying it really is for?
1: It's for everyone. It's for everyone for sure. I would say specifically in my practice, I tend to work with non-beginners. I tend to work with people that are executives that already have a foundation in their own sense of purpose and personality and leadership and goals and intention and there, but they are feeling like, Hey, now that I have all of these sort of practical skills in place, I'm realizing that my, my presence is lacking a little, Mm -hmm. or I don't feel quite as easy in some conversations or I'm having to do a lot of these public events. And I feel like I do a good job, but it does fun as it could, or it doesn't feel as engaging as it could. And that's really where we step in. And I'll give you a good example. I worked with this chief, op- chief operations person of this uh, big ed tech startup, which was ultimately acquired by WeWork. And when she and I started working together, I thought, oh my God, how am I gonna help this woman? She is so good. <laughs> well, we worked together for, for almost a year. I did. I had a little bit of imposter syndrome in our first session. I was like, shit, she picked the wrong person. But then I was like, no, you know what? Because she I was I was the perfect person for her because she already had those skills. So then we used improv, we used play, oh, yeah. we used mental agility, we used body play and practices. To get her to feel more agile, more extemporaneous, more dynamic in her expression. And that was really the thing that unlocked this this piece of the puzzle that she intuitively knew was missing, but couldn't put her finger on.
0: Oh, I love that. That's that's the powerful point right there. That's great. Well, Minna, it's been an absolute pleasure. I loved having you on. And when you do write that book, you better come back on the show because we are going to talk all about it. I can't wait to hear about that. But guys, I will leave Minna's details in the show notes below. But go ahead, run, connect with her. She also creates great posts online. So just quick tips that you can even pull into your day to day activity. To kind of check her out. So, Minna, again, thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week for another solo episode. Have a kick ass week. The future is now.